Hello and welcome to the Olive Tree Podcast, hosted by When Wisdom Calls. We hope and pray this episode gives you insight and uplifts your spirit. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. Shangom, shangom, and uh, welcome back to the Olive Tree Podcast. Um, it, we have been away for, for some time and I thank you for your, for your patience. Um, and Happy New Year to, to, to everybody. Uh, 2022 on the Gregorian calendar. What a feat. Um, yes. So I apologize for being away for, for two and a half months. Uh, Yeshua has had me focusing solely on the school for, for some time. And while I was in prayer today, he brought something up um, and told me that he wanted me to talk about it on, on the olive tree. So here we are today. So effectively, I want to talk about the names of Messiah, the names of Moshiach, like the titles that we have known him th- by throughout the ages and, and the expectations that they, that that created with us. And even, even in rabbinical Judaism today, because there's a lot of Jews that don't believe that Yeshua is the Moshiach, the Messiah. Um, but there's a lot of this mentality that remains in um, various teachings of, of Judaism today. And so I wanted to touch on that. But we're going to be going back to some very old writings, some, some writings that um, were passed down and, and kept in the circulation of the family of Seth. And it was considered a, a for lack of better words, a pre-Torah canon to this family. You know, it was the lessons and the, and the teachings of the fathers. Um, in Hebrew, they are called Devarim Avim, the words of the fathers. In English, they're called the Testaments of the Patriarchs. And it's effectively... On the day that they died, they would gather their children together and they would talk about the, the sum total of their life. They would they would say their greatest failures or teach on their greatest failures and how they came to fall short. They would speak about um, prophecies that Adonai had given to them that actually brought them to a, to a place of faith and, and, and repentance and how they would cry out and receive um, the good news which is where we see Paul talking about, you know, um, in, in various epistles, saying these, you know, these, our fathers, our forefathers, also received the same good news that we have today. This is not a different message, a different way that we are preaching now. There is no difference between the teachings of our fathers and the teachings today. Um and so when you when you take all of these together and, and you piece these puzzle pieces together, you start to see from the perspective of the apostles and to see how unchanging even our God is. And, and, and we don't have a good scope of, of how unchanging God is because we don't know what it means to be unchanged because we change on a daily basis and our societies change over over the courses of decades and and civilization changes over the courses of 50 year to century periods um and and it's and so we view god and his ways at times in in and especially in various in various denominations of churches we we almost expect doctrine to keep up with the times but if we look at it from the grand scheme of things, and we look at it from the history of things, we would realize that God is unchanging. And just to what extent it means that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, but I digress. So the fathers, the patriarchs, 
from Adam all the way down to um, to Moses and Aaron, and obviously beyond this scope, but but we're just going to focus on this group here, down to Moses and Aaron. Um, all received these these words about, or these 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 promises about the Messiah. Okay, and the earliest known prophecy about the Messiah was from Adam, and we have Josephus and Philo, I believe, also writing about. Um, about prophecies extending as far back, or it was believed to extend as far back. Um, and even Joseph is saying that, you know, he could quote all of the prophecies from the fathers, um, but it would be too much of a tedious job to do so. So we know that these these writings were in circulation back then. Um, and they were, they were kept in the temple. It was part of the temple library. Um, and so they were taught on in temple, but it was, it was, it was like a, a priestly canon. So the the priests and the prophets and the kings were privy to those to those letters and those writings, um, and they were, you know, they were there um, to assist those people who became teachers to teach the Bible to the common people, to the everyday believer, with a great accuracy and a great level of accuracy. And so um, Josephus writes about this, and Philo writes about those things as well. And so, in these in these writings, we see, um, and even throughout the, the the Torah and the Prophets as well, we we see the mention of Moshiach of, of Messiah being um, called things like the Son of Man or the Son of God or the Lion and the Lamb. Um, you know, the Son of Joseph, the Son of David. Um, we see him being called the Teacher of Righteousness. We see him being called the the um, Hamalach Adonai, the the angel of the Lord, we see him being called the um, the one who brings the time of grace. We see him being called Melchizedek, um, or a high priest of the order of Melchizedek, and we and we see various names like this. But the one I want to focus on today is a a is a very specific name. And it was the name of, of, of the Messiah, or the title of Messiah, was, was this. The man who had authority or the power to transform or renew the Torah. So the man that had power to transform or renew the Torah. And so this is this is a phenomenal point because Yeshua himself fulfills his teaching by saying, "Do not think that I have come to abolish the Torah and the Nevi'im, the Torah and the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but I have come to fulfill." And the word he used for fulfill is the word lemangot, and I'm going to explain lemangot in a moment. But I, I'm astounded that in, there's a lot of people that are here in teachings and they, they get to that passage and they go, he's fulfilled it, so we don't have to keep it anymore. And it's like, well, he's fulfilled it, therefore it's abolished. But that's a contradiction of what Yeshua himself said. Do not think I have come to abolish it, meaning to end it. I have not come to end it, but I have come to fulfill it. And the word he used is lemangot. Now, the word lemangot is a phenomenal word because it means really to fulfill by giving new purpose. And so the best way I can actually describe it is like renovating a house. When you renovate a house, you don't knock the house down and rebuild it. You look where there is a wall 
or you, it could be a, a smaller wall that divides a room or it could be an actual you know, outer wall of the house and you want to extend that house or you want to make a new room. So you knock the wall down, you build out and then you build the wall back. And it gives a new purpose to the house. It doesn't destroy the house or end the house or abolish the house. It fulfills it by giving it another purpose or a, or, or a new purpose to steward. And so that's the word Yeshua used. I didn't come to abolish it, but I came to give it more purpose. And that is how he's fulfilled it. And so... When we look at it through this means, what was the purpose he was giving it to? Like he was he was imparting into it. And for that, we need to really understand Genesis, and we need to really understand John three sixteen. So in Genesis, so we have the the sons of Noah um, filling. Or even before the flood, we've got Adonai concerned about the nations. You know, from the the lineage of Adam and Eve. And then there's sin, there's there's paganism that comes, there's this idol worship that arises, and he's consistently saying repent, and, and you've got the lineage of, of, of Seth that is keeping the priesthood alive, um, but the, the, the other, um, you know, the sons of Cain are rebelling, and they're, they're, they're worshipping their idols, they're doing this, that, and the other, they've got heinous practices, all, all, all those things. You have the, the, the Nephilim, um, rising, and all these things taking place. It's a pretty, pretty hectic time. And the flood takes place. Then you have, you know, the you have the rise of Noah. He's taken on the responsibility that was given to Adam. He's had three children. He's populated the the earth. They uh, with the you know through his children and their wives and and the earth is repopulated through those lineages now he was also commanded to give a uh, a command a a mitzvah a a ruling um and give them to these children because Adonai said to Noah that that these children would create nations and kingdoms for themselves and so teach them my ways instruct them in the ways they should go so they do not depart from my ways etc etc and for the most part we actually still have those those rulings from Noah in place from nation to nation um and you just have to do a little bit of digging but but they're actually all seven of them other than you know all seven of them are pretty much in in use except one vital one which is you know worship no other gods before me um in a lot of countries that's been made mute a mute point but anyway, I'm, I'm digressing too much. And so we're seeing in this story that Adonai is concerned and his plan is for the redemption of the nations, the, the redemption of humanity. Um, but consistently, the rest of the children of, of, of Noah um, are forsaking the way. They are doing their own things. They're forsaking the laws that their forefather gave them outside of the family of Shem. And so then he chooses out of the descendants of Shem um, to create a nation that would be a holy priesthood and an example to the rest of the nations to, to, um, to bring repentance to the world. 
And so that obviously becomes the nation of Israel, the, and that's called the root of Adonai, or the root of righteousness. And so then it said that this nation would receive the Torah, the, which is the accurate teachings of God, and they would use it if they followed the spirit of Torah, um, then they would fulfill their mandate. But if they followed the letter of Torah, well, then they would, you know, they would be not deceived, but they would um, become rigid, and it would and it would become, you know, them versus the world kind of behavior. And so the Torah itself was given, yes, to to the Jews, but it was always designed for the nations as a whole. And the only reason the Torah that we see given to the Jews is is so fine tuned or fine tailored is because it was the responsibility to make the, to make the nation a priesthood. There was a priesthood within the nation, and they were the example to the rest of Israel of how Israel was meant to walk and behave and and react around the nations. Um, and so, if they looked at the Kohanim, their priests, the Levites, and they took that behavior upon themselves, then when they looked around at the nations, they would be a priesthood to the nations and carry on that that calling from Abraham which was to go into all the nations and teach. And so we look at the Great Commission, and a lot of people will say, this is a new command. But if we look at the life of Abraham, and we look at, at it through the through Hebrew history, um, and and like the Oral Torah, we would see that there is actually, that is not a new command at all, but rather the fulfilling of the, of, or the restoration rather, of this call upon Abraham going now onto the believers, of Messiah to go and fulfill that duty to go into all the world, bring people into, or creating disciples and bringing people into the reality or baptizing them into the person of God, which is what Abraham was called for, or called to do. And so now we have the exile times, and it becomes Jews versus the world. They start to forget about the spirit of the Torah, and they start to look at the Torah as being the division between cultures. We keep this Torah because that makes us different than you. You don't keep the Torah. That makes you different than us and we're better. And then when Israel comes back as a nation, it becomes, you know, the Messiah is going to be one who kills these people and saves us. Instead of the remembrance that the Messiah isn't going to be the destroyer of the world, but rather the restorer of the world, where the world is now redeemed to come to God through him and the kingdom can now be restored on earth through these people who come to be the children of Adonai through the Messiah, through our Melchizedek, etc., etc. And so we look at that, we get to Yeshua's time, and he says those faithful words, don't think I have come to abolish the Torah, but I have come not to destroy them, the, the, the Torah and all the prophets, but I have come to fulfill them, I have come to restore their purpose. And what was that name? That we're focusing on today. The Messiah, the Moshiach, is a man who has the authority to come and renew the Torah. Which means he has come to teach the Torah in a way that it can now reach the nations and fulfill God's dream or fulfill his plan to restore the nations back to himself. And that is what he has done. 
And so for a believer, there is different, those who are not Jews, there is a different responsibility, but there's still like Paul himself says, you know, don't follow the Torah to a T, but follow as much as you can bear because there's different calls, there's different things, different attitudes. What is clean to a man is clean to him. What is unclean to a man is unclean to him. But now the Torah has been given to all of the people. And remember, the word Torah doesn't mean law. That's the greatest misinterpretation. There is rulings or commands in the Torah, yes. But the word Torah in Hebrew means to to hit the bullseye or hit the mark with your words. It's derived from the word yara, which means to hit a bullseye with an arrow. Okay? So it's accurate teachings or words that meet, that hit the mark, teachings that hit the mark. And so... Like when Paul is teaching um, Timothy and he says, this, these letters here that I give to you, they are good for the reproofing, they are good for the correcting, and they're good for the, the refinement of people. When you say th- those three things in, in Hebrew, we say these letters, they are Torah, because that's what the Torah does. And so he's, and when we do read that passage in, the, in, in Hebrew and Aramaic, the word specifically used is Torah, these Letters here that I entrust to you, these are Torah. Because that is what the Torah does. It refines us. It's the teachings. It's the way. It's the, it's the heart and desires of God made known to us and how we can bring or carry ourselves rather in his way so that we can bring his kingdom here and have it reestablished on the earth. And so, no, I'm not saying that Yeshua was bringing about a new legalism, by no means. But what I am saying is he didn't come to destroy the Torah. So I don't understand why, when we preach about these things, we look at it and we say, no, 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 this is cut off. Like this, the, I'll just use the, I don't, I don't agree with calling it Old and New Testament. There's different, there's different um, covenantal periods, absolutely. Um, but the paradigm of old and new testaments is the old is done away with new is come um but that's not what yeshua uh, that's not what paul was um saying in hebrews or saul rather it was it was the only letter that we have survived um through the ages of of paul writing as saul the pharisee because he's writing to the priests um and so that's that's taking out of context what what yeshua has spoken through paul to these priests it's not the Old Testament versus the New Testament, and it's not new versus old. It's it's looking, and it's all the covenantal periods, and they're built on one another. If you destroy one, you're destroying them all. They rely on each other, okay? And so I don't understand how we can look at the Scripture in the way that this here, this Old Testament is done away with. Yeshua has come, he's abolished it, even though he himself said, I haven't come to abolish it. Um, and now he set up this new canon. No, 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 no. He is, he is fulfilled by giving new purpose. So all of those books from Genesis to, to Chronicles, or if we're doing the, the, the Germanic um, order of the books, from, from Genesis to Malachi, all of those books still stand equally as much as Matthew to Revelations. They stand. Why? Because Adonai didn't come, or Yeshua didn't come, the Messiah didn't come to destroy these things, but he came to give them new purpose. To the point that if you remove or allow those things to be abolished, then the other things have zero context and grounds to stand. 
so there is no meaning in them. And so when we try to convey the, the significance of Yeshua's sacrifice without the foundation of the whys and the hows, um, that then explains the, the actions and the reasons, um, it means nothing. And so then we're actually, we're actually taking the significance and the power in the sacrifice of Yeshua HaMashiach and we are throwing it away and saying it's worthless. But believe in him because he's done a good thing. But how he's done a good thing, we don't know why. And so when we look at the Messiah, we're looking at the Messiah as all of those names, all of those titles, all of those facets. He is the son of man. He is the son of God. He is the son of Joseph. He is the son of David. He is the, the Melchizedek, meaning he is the high priest. He is the Melchizedekian priest of our order. He is the teacher of righteousness. And he is the man that came and restored or renewed the Torah. He is the lion. He is the lamb. So when we say Messiah, that is what it's encompassing, all of those things. He is Lord, not just Savior. And it doesn't say, if you make him Lord and Savior, you'll be saved. It says, if you make him Lord, you will be saved. If you confess with your heart and your tongue that Yeshua HaMashiach is Lord, then you are saved. And a lot of us make him Savior, but when, when it comes to him acting as the crown and the sovereign, we go, no, 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 we, we, we start treating him like a democracy. And that also detracts from the significance of his sacrifice in our lives. And so the importance of this, and to grasp this, is, is the fact that this is what was being taught from Adam, and he passed it down to Seth, he, who passed it down to um, Enosh, who passed it down to um, Canaan, who passed it down to Mahalalel, who passed it down to Jared, who passed it down to Enoch, who passed it down to Methuselah, who passed it down to Lamech, who passed it down to Noah, who passed it down to um, Shem, to Japheth, and to Ham, who passed it down to their children. And then we see it, you know, come all the way, you know, full circle through um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then down to Jacob's children, then down to their children. Then we see it full circle again in the time of Moses and Aaron and, and Miriam. And then we still see that teaching all the way down through David and Solomon, through all the way down to Yeshua and still beyond. And so that is our Messiah that we serve. He has restored and he has renewed the power of the Torah so that it, all the nations, not just Israel, but all of the nations can receive salvation and all of the nations can be restored to God and God restored to them so that all of the nations can be a part of his kingdom. And that's what that means. But for all of these nations to benefit from that, we need to understand Torah as much as we can bear. To the Jew, it's easy to bear it all, relatively easy. Like there are specific commands that a man cannot keep, that a woman can, and vice versa. So it's not even about keeping it all. But to a German, when it says, do not eat any pork, whereas their food of honor is pork, well, then that is difficult for them because they that's how they were taught to honor. Therefore, it is unclean to that person, to, to the German, to be able 
well, to not be able rather to to eat their their delicacy. And so Adonai is not going to tell him not to because there is a different responsibility for him to the Jew. And so there are two responsibilities given in this new humanity, this new man, this Ish Chodesh in Hebrew. And the scriptures talk about that. And it's not about creating this divide between Jew and, and nation. No. But it's about understanding that it is not abolished. It is simply restored. It is simply fulfilled with new purpose. And that is how those who come to believe in Yeshua, who isn't a Jew, is now a child of Abraham. Because they have come into the covenant, into that promise that was given to Abraham. Not making, not making those believers Jews. No, no, no. But saying that the covenant is theirs and they benefit from it. Equally as much. And you can still benefit from things equally as much, but have different responsibilities. There's always a difference in responsibilities between the firstborn and secondborn children. But there's still a bulk of the responsibility that is the same between them. And the benefits are all the same between them. So let us remember that Yeshua has not abolished anything, but rather fulfilled. He had lemonot. He fulfilled by giving new purpose so I pray that this makes sense um, I'm just going to have a sh shorter episode today, I've said everything that Yeshua wanted me to touch on um, actually there's one more thing he's brought to mind um, even when we look at the most spiritual teachings in Judaism Kabbalah, and no I'm not talking about Madonna Kabbalah, I'm talking about legitimate Kabbalah okay when we look at those teachings, it also keeps that teaching alive. That when the Moshiach come, he will come and he will initiate this mass grace throughout the world. And he will do that through renewing the power of Torah so that the nations can benefit from it. That is keeping those prophecies alive. Even though they haven't received the Messiah, they await him with the same eagerness. We have received Moshiach. So we need to now come back to the original teaching that the Moshiach himself taught and fulfilled. So that we can now influence this world in a greater capacity, bearing fruits and actually baptizing people into the reality of who he is without these competitions between this sect and this denomination. No, that's all useless. If it's done in the name of a different way or, or a different name, it is not going to bear the fruits that we want. So I hope that this makes sense. I'm going to leave this here. And Adonai, I thank you for what you shall do. And B'Shem Yeshua, I thank you that you speak what you wish to speak now. Our ears are, hope, our ears are open. Speak for your servants, listen. And we thank you, Adonai, that you were bringing about your kingdom. As it is in your throne room, so shall it be in our lives. And I thank you that you are blessing us with every spiritual blessing and the bread of our tomorrows. And that you're not allowing us to walk into hard testings, but you will deliver us from the evil one. For kingship 
and power and glory are yours now and forevermore. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Shalom and be blessed. Thank you for listening to the Olive Tree Podcast. Your support means the world to us, so we're thankful that you joined us today. We are grateful to be able to provide this resource and many others to you for free. That being said, if you feel called to support our ministry, you can do so by heading over to whenwisdomcalls.com and click on the Give tab. Want to know more about what we do and how you can get involved? Well, you can check out our website for more details, whenwisdomcalls.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you next time.